Hello, everyone. This is Raise Your Voice as part of the D-Raise Bay Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brett Rutherford, and joining me on this week's episode is D-Raise Bay senior writer, Jamal Wilberg. Jamal, I know we're trying to get this podcast in before you take over recapping duties for Tuesday night's game, Rays and Cubs. But first off, how are you doing, man? Doing great. Can't complain. We've we've got baseball to talk about, and uh, it's exciting. Yeah, you know, a couple months ago, we didn't know whether we'd have baseball to talk about. So happy. We did not. It's been the first time in a while since you've been on. I'm glad to have you back on. I know last year around this part of the calendar, you were on the podcast. You were talking about your experiences at Marlins Park. It's one of your favorite ballparks to go to. It is like geographically the closest to the Rays. Uh, when the Rays played down there for opening weekend to 2021. Now I can relay back to you that I have also been to Marlins Park. I was there last Sunday to catch my first Major League Baseball game of the season. Phillies and Marlins. The Marlins whooped them. Um, I got to see Bryce Harper play for the first time. He homered. I got to see Joey Wendell and Lewis Head play for the Marlins, as well as Marlins, our former Rays prospect, Jesus Sanchez, who was like hitting in the meat of their order, playing center field for them. That was a lot of fun. I know I joked around on Twitter. Like, I, you know, there's no way I'd drive all the way down to Miami and not see Lewis head pitch. Like, he has to come in the game. Lo and behold, he gets the ninth inning. That was a lot of fun. But I just got to say, your uh, Marlins Park lived up to the hype. You told me all about it last year. You told me about the food. Uh, you told me about the bobblehead museum, the bobblehead display. All of that lived up to the hype. I had the pancon steak, and then I also had an arepa. Um, the Marlins lager for beer. Like they had some amazing food options. Probably I went to target field last year and the food in Minnesota was really good. Really great brats, really good sausages. This probably beats that though. And like, you know, I'm a little bit of bias towards, you know, I love me some good Dominican food, some Colombian food, um, Cuban food. So this definitely lived up to the hype. I loved Marlins park. And honestly, as I was in there, like, it's such a different feeling from the trop, right? Because it's still a closed roof, or it's retractable, but it was closed that day. But that glass out in left field really opens up the ballpark. And I just like envisioning something similar in a new race stadium, with, no, no matter where it is, on what side of the bay. Uh, but it really does. And I love the trop. I'm a trop defender. But going to that park with that roof and with that open glass in left field, it just really opens up the park. Yeah. And that's why I've always said that Tropicana field just needs windows. Like if you just didn't feel entrapped and confined, it would just feel like such a brighter, more, more open atmosphere. And hopefully the, the future ballpark, if the team remains in the area is on the, what I will call the right side of the Bay and happy to take any hate that comes with that on social media. (laughs) That's fine. But it's, it just feel like you're outside and get that view of what Florida can look like. And then, you know, a roof that contrasts with the ball and the ball doesn't get lost in it when it goes up. It's so much easier to track, you know, a pop-up or a fly ball when, when you can see it that way. So it's a really good, but it's also, you want to talk about a ballpark that's not necessarily built in the best and most accessible place to get to, even if it's beautiful. You know, I think it's a good a good testament to even if you have the right amenities, that location still matters uh, to and to to mm-hmm. an extent in terms of people getting out there. But yeah, it's one of my one of my favorite ballparks. It's 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 a good time. 
Yeah, when I bought the tickets, I wasn't aware, it wasn't scheduled yet, that the Miami Heat would be hosting their first playoff game at the same exact time on the same exact day. So we did leave a little early to avoid any traffic on I-95. We got there in decent time. I got a chance to kind of walk around the ballpark. The other thing, in full disclosure, this was only my fourth major league stadium. I've been to the Trop. I've been to Kauffman in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, last year, I went to Target Field in Minneapolis. This was ballpark number four for me. Uh, but really, I think, and this is probably true for, I don't know, 28 of the 30 ballparks, the open concept, like where you can see the field from the concourse is an absolute must. And it's something that like, I didn't realize was such a big thing and added so much to like the atmosphere that the trap doesn't have. Like when you go in to go get a hot dog or a drink or whatever, use the bathroom, you com- you like completely can't see the field of play. Like you leave the area, unless you're in that center field area, which is my favorite spot at the Trop. Like I'll go hang out there more than I'll sit in my seat if it's not like super crowded. But being able to like see the field and hear the game and feel like you're still, like you haven't really gone anywhere when you just go up to get a snack is like an absolute must. And so again, Trop Defender, love 72 degrees, love the AC, um, love the, clo- the the controlled climate, but that is something that like the trop is really missing out on. It's something I'm really happy they added that center field area because it creates that social spot where like you can stand up there and chat with a friend or just get a different angle of the game for an inning or two. Um, I love that in, at Marlins Park. I was out in left field. I think it's the Budweiser Bar. Yep. Uh, we were out there watching for a couple innings. I saw Bryce Harper homer uh, from there. I saw Joey Wendell. I think he hit a double. Uh, and then, uh, you know, ultimately went back to our seats, watched Lewis Head close out the game. I got a great picture of, like, Lewis Head on the mound and Joey Wendell at third base. Got them both in frame there from our seats on the first baseline. That's kind of fun. But ultimately, this is this is Raise Your Voice. So we could talk about Marlins Phillies on Easter Sunday all day long. But let's let's bring it back to the Rays and, and what they've been doing. And it hasn't been uh, the best of starts. They are 5-6 and six through 11 games. We were recording this on Tuesday just before Game two between the Rays and Cubs at Wrigley Field. The Rays lose game one of that series, four to two. And, and Jamal, you know, it was a great start, three and zero against the Orioles. We had a super happy, fun podcast, and I had Cole Mitchum on, and we were thinking, hey, maybe five wins against the A's and White Sox. I mean, how wrong were we? They pulled off just two wins that week. They start off on a bad foot against the Cubs. And I don't know, is is the panic button anywhere near the top of the desk or is it still like tucked away in the drawer for you? It's still tucked away in the drawer for me. I think there's there's a lot of things to consider. There's still the adjustments to a shortened spring training and we haven't hit Memorial Day yet. This is still, until you hit that first holiday weekend of the season, it's it's all just too early to be excited and too early to be fully disappointed, you know, as a, as someone that grew up a New York Mets fan, you want to talk about a team that typically can get you really excited earlier, early in the seasons and then drop off. And so the Rays with the expanded postseason, they're just what one or two spots out right now if the season were to end and there's plenty of season left. And so I don't think it's, I don't think it's time to hit the panic button. There's some areas that certainly if they continue to trend the way they're trending, you, you, you'd certainly be concerned, but it's way too early to panic. Yeah, and I, you know, I can't say like last week when I was talking to Cole and they, you know, swept the Orioles. You know, I always say it: the games that you play in April count the same as the ones you play in September. 
And if I say that when they're winning, I have to say that when they're losing. Like, they have not been playing good baseball. There are some really worrying things. We're going to talk about it, I think, when we raise our voices towards the end of this show. Yeah, you want to see them win uh, more than just a pair of games over uh, what's now an eight-game stretch uh, since that opening weekend sweep. With that being said, like, if this stretch happened in June when they were, I don't know, already 10 games over 500 or more, you know, we probably wouldn't bat an eye. You'd say it's just one of those weeks. Oh, yeah, the A's came to town. They lost three or four. You know, that happens. And I hope that the Rays are just getting that, you know, that ugly week out of the way in April. And maybe they continue to lose this week. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, Tuesday's game will have already taken place. It was a cold, snowy night in Chicago on Monday. And they still haven't had their first off day yet. And I think that's also playing a role. Usually, in every almost every season, you get like two, maybe even three off days in those first two to three weeks. You get one built in after opening day, usually. Uh, there's just a lot more time to, for your body to recuperate, for you to get back into the swing of playing regular season games. They lost their first off day uh, when the lockout pushed opening day back to April 7th, and which was an off day for them. So they started on April 8th because they didn't change the schedule. Uh, so they will get their first off day on Thursday. Uh, which will also, I think, give them some time to kind of reset the pitching staff. Um, they're dealing with injuries. You know, pitchers are going to get hurt. That's the name of the game. You see Shane Boz, who was hurt in spring training. He gets transferred to the 60-day IL. Luis Patino goes down with an injury, a strained oblique. He's on the 60-day IL, so he's out until June. Uh, Shane Boz, again, also out until June. Ryan Yarbrough goes on the IL with a strained groin, JT Chagua, a strained oblique. And they're starting to pile up. Like, we knew Pete Fairbanks was going to be out for a while. And again, I always say, like, you know, I've I've been known to get into it with uh, a a specific baseball Twitter personality about Ray's injuries and him claiming that there's maybe something nefarious going on. I've always thought, like, the Rays are going to be more cautious with their pitchers. Like, okay, we'd rather have you, like a guy like JT Chagua or Ryan Yarbrough, these are, we're, we're led to believe minor injuries, right? They'll, they can go on the IL for two weeks, come back and be fresh instead of trying to pitch through it. Uh, but that has, you've seen the Durham shuttle start, right? We've seen right now the guys in the bullpen like Phoenix Sanders, they pick up Javi Guerra, Chris Mazza's there to be the sacrificial lamb and just come out and, and give up a few runs in a game that we have no chance of winning. Um, Jalen Beeks, who I think was going to be on the team anyways, he's getting more outings. But Jamal, I mean, th- these pitching injuries, should they continue? I think this year, maybe more than any other year, I don't know if they have that like starting pitching depth. I'm not, I don't worry about the bullpen. Like You still have guys like Colin Pochet down in the minors. But the starting rotation... That's starting to worry me. Like right now, the starters on the IL are Shane Boz, Yanni Torinos, Tyler Glass now, Brendan McKay, Luis Patino, and Ryan Yarbrough. You look at the current rotation, Shane McClanahan, Josh Fleming, Drew Rasmussen, and Corey Kluber. Josh Fleming's working behind an opener tonight. Are you worried about the pitching depth as things stand? I think you always got to be worried about some aspects of pitching depth because you only have so many that you can call up. And, and again, if we want to talk about how the Rays operate to a point, whether it's 
you know, I wouldn't necessarily call it nefarious. I think that you've got three primary stakeholders as an organization. You've got your, your ownership and business interests, you've got your fans and you've got your players. And so as long as you can succeed, it's hard to succeed and make all three of those populations of stakeholders happy. And so you've got to manage to be to sustain being competitive. And right now, this is a team that's one and a half games back as of time of this recording uh, within the division with all of those injuries and death concerns that people have. And so on one hand, I think if you're just looking at it from a rational, what feels predictable standpoint, yes, how long can this, even for the Rays, <laughs> right, different approach and all these folks that are going out there work because you normally at least have a glass now or historically a Snell or, or some pitcher that you just really know you can rely on when they come up. But it's just something that doesn't make sense and I can't quantify just, and I'm not going to use the national broadcast of, well, it's that raise magic that they put together, <laughs> but there's, there's something systematically that is working and that they're putting it together and getting it. But that just means that there's going to have to be more from a defense and batting standpoint that I think is where uh, there's some, there's some pieces to, to desire currently. Yeah. I, I think we're going to get more into that later on uh, specifically the pitching. Like we did see Tommy Romero come up. He had two outings in the big leagues and his start did not look great. The fastball was, you know, not at the same velocity that we were used to seeing out of him in the minor leagues did get another outing in relief and looked better. Uh, Kevin Cash, uh, when after Romero was sent down, said he's got to go back down there and find that command and velocity that we're used to him seeing. You know, that was his first big league start, right? He got his first cup of coffee. You don't expect the guy to come out, come up and be lights out. But he is, you know, he was on the 40-man roster. He is that next man up. Knock on wood, God forbid you see an injury to any of the other guys, especially before anyone on the IL can come back. Romero is going to have to fill in that spot unless they go to the trade market. Frankie Montas is still out there. He's the last guy left in Oakland. We say that, but that team just came into the trop and, and took three of four. Um, or, you know, maybe they, they look into uh, the the waiver wire or try to pick someone up elsewhere. But right now, as the organization is currently constructed, he is the next man up. The other, only other guys you have in AAA, Colin Poche, Ralph Garza Jr., and Calvin Foche, those are all relievers. You've got some other guys like Dustin Knight, who was just DFA'd but passed through waivers. He could be called back up. Uh, Aaron Sleggers, we've seen him used for some length with the Rays before. Uh, uh, Cody Reed, I don't know what his injury status is, but he's still with the organization. And I I think they can piece it together. But one more injury, and you're really kind of scraping the rays or the bottom of the barrel. But for the rays, I don't think that's like as terrible as it sounds. You're just not going to get the numbers. Maybe you're used to from this pitching staff. Also, you're going to get some more off days trickled in. They've got one on Thursday. I think they've got another one next week. The bullpen is going to be less taxed. These guys can get an extra day of rest and the rays are still going to be cautious with it. Like if the rays finish April at 500, but they have a healthy pitching staff rather than like, I don't know, four or five games over 500, but another injury, like, I think they'll take that. Yeah, and I think even what you've seen out of Shane McClanahan, I don't know what your expectations were for him coming into the season, but he's performed quite well. I mean, the, the results and the outcomes of those games haven't, haven't matched up to outside, thankfully, for, for Baltimore. But 
I think there's plenty with the pitchers they have outside, you know, Romero and some others that there is to look forward to, especially if they can continue to grow, develop, find their rhythm. And it's early where we're talking mid April right now. And, and we'll, we'll see, you know, come a month and a half from now where everything stands. Yeah. I like what Josh Fleming has done. I like what Corey Kluber's done. And I like that you mentioned Shane McClanahan. Let's talk about him. But before that, we'll take a quick break. And we're back on Raise Your Voice talking about Rays. I don't know. Maybe we can call him an ace now. Shane McClanahan. He got the opening day start, and he looks really good. Jamal, what have you seen out of the Rays lefty so far this year? Certainly getting more strikeouts than I probably anticipated uh, that he would get when he's coming in. And I think outside of a couple, uh, you know, pitches getting away and some runs getting scored, he's looked really good. And at first it just felt different, you know, hearing Shane McClanahan as your opening day starter, but he's, I think so far been, been performing pretty well. Don't know what, what your thoughts are there, Brett. Yeah. You know, it's been a crazy ride with Shane McClanahan. He made his big league debut, although it doesn't officially count as a big league debut in the world series in 2020. And you saw maybe he had some jitters there. Then he starts in the minors last year, but with injuries, he quickly gets a spot in the rotation never lets it go. And when Tyler Glass now goes down, he becomes your your number one pitcher. And again, not every number one pitcher needs to be called an ace. Shane McClanahan was very good last season, but wasn't quite ace status. Gave up, you know, a few home runs here and there. Struggled in the in, in the ALDS when they used him on short rest. Did look good in game one of that series, I should say. The only game the Rays won. But this year comes out. Glass now still on the mend, so he gets the opening day start. And Going back to that game, and I talked about it with Cole, and now we've seen two more starts out of him. He hit Cedric Mullins with the first pitch, and Jamal, you were there. He has some struggles with his command. Fastball's getting hit around a little bit. And early on, in the first inning of the first game of the season, Kyle Snyder goes out there and talks to them. He then uses three curveballs to strike out the very next batter, and he's been using his curveball exponentially more than he has in his career uh, the the numbers are up from 16.4% curveball usage in 2021 to 33% curveball usage so far in 2022. He's thrown 86 forcing fastballs and 77 curveballs down to 16.3% for the slider and 13.7% for the changeup. And that curveball is incredibly nasty. It's led to him getting 40.7 K rate so far this year. The fastball is getting hit hard, so he's just throwing it less. You, you've still got to use the fastball, and McClanahan's fastball is still very good. Uh, but if people make contact with it, they're going to get a few home runs. That's just the way it's been so far with his career. He gets six inches, or he got six inches of vertical, vertical break on that curveball in 2021. That's up to 9.1 inches in 2022. And I that's horizontal movement. Sorry, that's not vertical movement. Um, so it's it's really it's a deep curveball. It's effective. He's getting lots of whiffs, and I think you can kind of pinpoint that mound visit from Kyle Snyder. And ever since then, the curveball has been dominant, and he's been a dominant pitcher. He leads the big leagues in strikeouts. Uh, he is he has just been dominant. He's not even throwing that many innings. I know a lot of guys aren't going past the fifth or sixth this point in the season, but doing that in such few innings. I've, I've got a question for you, but I, I want to hear your thoughts on, on, on his curveball first. Yeah, again, it's all interesting because it, although he's pitched 15 innings, it's the second most innings pitched in, in the AL. And, and 
but he's got the most strikeouts. And so it's, he's also started the most games. So there's a whole lot to try to figure out with this uh, first month sample size of data that we have. But yeah, maybe that mound visit, settling some nerves, getting to the game plan or adjusting the game plan, whatever that conversation was or the subsequent adjustments, you know, it's clear that he's he's got a role and potential to to really execute on this on this level, and he's getting it there. He's, what you mentioned with his his uh, curveball and just the way that he's just executing and getting the K percentage, it's it's looking good so far. Again, it's still so so early to tell but again the the sample that we do have is is positive if you're a a fan of the race i've got a question so i think when blake snell was at his peak so those that cy young year and even at times the next year when his stuff was still really really good and i still think blake snell's a great pitcher i think he had the best curveball out of all left-handed pitchers in the game in that moment at that point, you know, Kershaw, you know, he still got a great curveball, but like Kershaw was starting to, you know, trend downwards in his career. And Blake Snell really had one of the best pitches in the game. And now it wouldn't shock me by the end of the year, we're saying the same thing about Shane McClanahan's curveball. We've only seen 77 of them this year, but it's been his best pitch. And it's been, I think, the most effective pitch other than like maybe uh, Corbin Burns breaking ball the best pitch in the big leagues this year. And if he can continue to rely on it and continue to keep hitters off balance, and that's probably going to require him to have more success with the fastball, still mixing the sliders and the changeups to make that curveball more effective because he can't just be a one-pitch pitcher. But the early signs are showing that this could be the best curveball from a left-handed pitcher in the big leagues. What do you think? We'll see as long as as long as he doesn't get hit too hard on the fastball and the other pitches where you know again if he can get it all to work together then i think it works out but he's still getting getting hit pretty hard pretty pretty regularly and so if we can if he can get past that then certainly you know it, it looks good so far again like you said 77 of them yeah <laughs> so it's still still a long way to go uh i'll have plenty more of you know bold predictions based on a very small sample set, uh, you know, as the season progresses. Like last year, I look, he only threw 123 in the third innings. He's not going to throw 200 this year, but who knows? Maybe he gets close to 150. Maybe he surpasses it. The Rays are going to be careful with him. He might even get a, I won't call it a phantom IL stint, but maybe one day he wakes up a little sore and they say, take 10 days off. We'll fill in your spots in the rotation. We want to make sure you're good for September and October. But Shane McClanahan, Looks really good. I'm really excited to see what he's capable of moving forward. Who knows? Maybe he'll even stick around in the AL Cy Young race as well. So the Rays are finishing up their road trip, their Chicago road trip. They lost 2-3 or to the White Sox. As we're recording, they're down one nothing in the series against the Cubs. They do return home, however, and they play the Boston Red Sox this weekend. Tough series, division series. Uh, Red Sox are currently five and five, like you said. Blue Jays are in first, and they're six and four. So even though the Rays are not up to the hottest of starts, it's very clumped up in the AL East with, between the four teams that we expected: Blue Jays, Yankees, Red Sox, and Rays. What are you looking for from this team to kind of hey, who knows? They could win tonight, and they could win tomorrow, and maybe we have a different mentality going into that series. But what are you looking for for them once they get back home? Yeah, I think it's getting back to being 
to being consistent, putting some wins together. The good news is it just doesn't doesn't feel like this team is as bad as their and it's not that their record's bad. They're one game below five hundred, but as bad as everyone as it feels, right? I think that this team is just incrementally away from easily could have been leading the division right now. And so you bring in the Boston Red Sox, who are like you mentioned five and five, but it doesn't feel like they're as good as five and five or consistently playing that way. And then you bring in. Uh, you've got Seattle coming to town, who's a 500 team, who also feels like they could be a little bit better than their record. So that, I think that'll be a good test to see. And then Minnesota, uh, who's four and six currently. And, and again, I think they're, it's all about three, nine games. That if you could pull out five or six of them, I think the feeling shifts a little bit about what this team can be early in the season. But you got to Got to win the home games. It'll be nice to get outside of the, the cold weather in Chicago, looking at fans uh, with parkas and all kinds of cold weather gear and flurries hitting the field. I mean, it looked like football weather, not baseball weather. And so it'll be, you know, we talked about earlier the, the 72 degree comfort of Tropicana Field. Be, be nice to see what the team looks like there again. Yeah. The other thing we probably got to mention, as you mentioned, the cold weather is Wander Franco. He's back in Tuesday night's lineup, so it, th- it looks like everything's okay. But Monday, you see quad tightness, and I don't know. I wasn't, like, immediately nervous. Like, it felt like, okay, if Wander feels anything, it's going to be a 10-day IL move, like, immediately. And I also said, like, on, on a D-Rays Bay comment board earlier this season on one of our game day threads that every time Wander runs, because he runs incredibly hard, and the way his body is built, it looks like he's going to pull a hammy. And so I read quad tightness, and I go, Oh no! And I, you know, again, I knocked on wood when I typed that comment out. Don't want to, uh, you know, I don't want to. I'm a, I'm a superstitious fan when it comes to baseball. So looks like he's okay. My feeling is he felt the slightest of something, and when it's going to be snowing in Chicago, let's just give him the day off. Yeah, and even earlier in the the White Sox series, there was the the play where Rondi went uh, diving into home, and the way he got up, he looked like he was either a little bit sore or a little bit tight. And I think, you know, for some of these position players, they don't get a chance to really stay warm and stay loose the way that that pitchers are out there. So then you go to try to run full speed in the cold. It wouldn't surprise me that something can be tight. And just, again, the way this team's performing right now, anything that would impact G-Man Choi or Wander Franco, I think you want to try to keep those two in the lineup as much as possible to keep that production going. Yeah, I worry about G-Man Choi. Like, we've we've seen he's had some leg problems, lower body problems in the past, and making sure those muscles stay warm. You saw Rondia Rosarena, you know, he wanted to go get warm early in one of the games. He threw his back, got himself tossed, so he could go – uh, huddle up and get uh, bundled up at the clubhouse. Um, so he wanted to exit that game a little early, but you know what? That's okay. Um, yeah. So it sounds like Wander Franco's okay. I will be uh, watching him closely. I think tonight I watch him closely every night because he's just so incredible, but I'll be a little nervous as I am every time I, you know, any raised player has any inkling of an injury, but it looks like everything's okay. It looks like it was 1000% precautionary and he hadn't had an off day yet. If you're going to give somebody an off day, do it on a night where it the feels like temperature drops into the 20s at Wrigley Field. I think that's perfectly fine. I mentioned that homestand. You've got the off day Thursday before the Boston series. So you get to travel home. You play a night game on Wednesday. You don't have an afternoon getaway game like you usually would because you have that off day built in. You get another off day on Monday, April 25th at home. Those are great because, you know, they don't have to go anywhere. 
you can sleep in, you maybe go to the, the stadium for a workout. I don't know what their their daily schedule is like on those off days at home. Then you welcome in Seattle, then the Twins. I think this is the, the, the homestand that you could really see the Rays click it into that next gear. You'll, you'll, your pitching staff will be uh, you know more well-rested. There's a good chance you'll see Ryan Yarbrough worked back into the rotation. I saw that he could pitch a, in a rehab start this weekend and then be back as early as uh, you know maybe that last game against Seattle or that first game against Minnesota, which would be really promising. Um, the other thing you got to keep in mind is that after this homestand, or really during this homestand, that roster is going from 28 to 26. So while it seems like the Rays are managing these injuries right now because you have a 10-man bullpen, most likely that bullpen is going to shrink to eight by uh, by next uh, next weekend. So that's another thing to keep in mind. If they're able to get Thompson back, that's going to kind of lighten the load. There might have to be some more 40-man maneuvering, uh, maybe another trade to kind of make some room or move some guys around uh, to make things work. I don't expect anybody on the position player side to be moved at this point. Uh, Vidal Brujan's injured. We don't really know what his timetable is for return. He got injured in like the first or second game for Durham. Isak Paredes has been doing well down there. I don't expect any of those guys to be called up, especially with the roster crunch coming. They're only carrying the 13 position players right now anyways and 15 pitchers. So I don't expect any guys to get moved, but who knows? Could be a trade, could be something else. Maybe they get Frankie Montas and they have to give up a couple big leaguers. Who knows? Um, but I'm, I'm excited for the homestand. I'm just excited for them to get out of Chicago. It's always like cold and windy, especially when they play there in April. No fun for anybody. Remind, you know, it kind of reminds me of the 08 World Series. right? I know that was like rain and snow at the same time and just totally unplayable game conditions. These are a little bit better. Um, but two more games, I don't know. I'll be happy if they pull out one of them. It'd be nice if they won both of these last two in Chicago. But we'll see. Any more thoughts on on your expectations for the next week and a half? Win win more than you lose. So five, at least go five and four, and and keep it keep you know steady pace. Be five hundred by the end of it. Well, I guess depending on uh, what happens with uh, the closeout of the Chicago series. But as long as this team can hover within just a couple games back, or even with the division lead, I think you just keep pace for the beginning part of the season. Yeah, completely agree. Let's take one more break, and on the other side, Jamal and I will raise our voices about our biggest fear with this year's Tampa Bay Rays. And we're back on Raise Your Voice. We've talked about the struggles on this road trip, what we're looking forward to on this homestand, and I think we're still optimistic. Like we said, the panic button, we haven't even thought about pulling it out. It's still tucked away in the drawer. The drawer is locked. Not worried about it right now. But like you said, Jamal, at the beginning of the show, there are certain things that have happened this last week that if they continue are concerning. And so I think as baseball fans, we have these fears about our team throughout the year, even when they're playing well. And most of the time, we talked about it earlier, it has to do with your with health, specifically with your pitching staff. So I want to kind of move away from that. Me and Danny and JT, we talked about that a few episodes ago. You're always going to be worried about the pitchers being hurt. That's what pitchers do. They get hurt. So other than that, Jamal, I ask you, what is your biggest fear about this year's Rays team? My biggest fear is that they can remain to be offensively one-sided. I think you look at the 
distribution of contribution, I guess, from, from the team. And 48% of the, this team's run scored have come from three players. And so if it's not G-Man Choi, Brandon Lau, or Wander Franco, that's the absolute bulk of, again, 48% coming from those three. That's, that's not sustainable, especially if you're going to have injuries to your pitching staff and the other pieces. So players like Mike Zanino, uh, which right now has a 0.087 on base percentage. Um, you know, Rondi Arozarena, again, you know, he's 214 on base percentage. They've got to get their production up to what's expected. And, and, and other folks, this is, it's gotta be a potluck. Everyone's got to bring something to the table. It can't be a buffet where three folks are feeding the rest of, or providing the majority of the meal here. Yeah. Uh, are you also worried about the defense this year? I think we've seen some things from guys that maybe we, we either expect a lot out of because of what we've seen in the past, what their defensive pedigree is, or other guys that we did have some concerns about and those are seemingly playing out in real time. Yeah, and the, the more concern there is about runs scored, the more concern there is about runs prevented, right? And and the, you, you see there was a play when the team was at home that Kiermaier just missed. Uh, that's completely – I can't remember which game it was, but it, it didn't feel like the typical Kiermaier-type play. We've seen throws to first base that should be – uh, routine raise defensive plays uh, that go through and don't happen. So yes, between uh, runs scored and then just the way that the defense normally performs and what you've just come to expect, it's been very off-brand for Rays baseball. The, the the thing I've always said since last year, and I said it right after the Tyler Glasnow injury last summer, is that yes, Tyler Glasnow was, if he had stayed healthy, would have been the most valuable player on last year's team in terms of wins above replacement. But if there's an injury that would hurt this team any more than a Tyler Glasnow injury, it would be that of Mike Zanino going down. And we talked about his struggles at the plate, and I think I'm going to talk a little bit in just a second about offense in, in general. But if he goes down, Francisco Mejia becomes your number one catcher. And Mejia has been contributing uh, in a lot of ways offensively. He came in, in that, that Baltimore series and came off the bench to drive in a run, then homered in the next game. And I, I like what I'm seeing at the plate. I've always liked what I've seen at the plate out of Francisco Mejia. He works deep into counts. He finds ways to get on base. He'll bunt against the shift. He'll do whatever it takes in whatever situation you need him in. Defensively, though, I, I thought he was okay last year. This year, and specifically one game, two balls going off his glove, leading to runs for the White Sox. It's a concern. Again, you've got Zeno. And while you've got Zeno, I have no worries about the catching defense. Mejia will play, I don't know, one out of every three or four days. He'll be okay. But if that playing time flips, if you need Mejia in that role, and then you need to call up a Rene Pinto to be your number two, I get really worried about what Francisco Mejia is going to do in, 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 if he is forced to play more in the field. Taylor Walls, he, he, he still looks good. Uh, but Wander Franco looks incredible, I think, at shortstop to start the year. And if that quad tightens up again and he has to spend a week and a half or, God forbid, more on the injured list, Taylor Walls, you're known as the infield Kevin Kiermeyer. That's what the organization has been saying about you. Uh, I Like, I, I need to see that, that. You have expectations now. I know you're still only 
I, I think he used up his rookie eligibility, but you're still a young player, but I have those expectations for you. I don't think you need that much time to develop as a defender once you get to the big leagues. So we need to see that play out for the full year. I have no worries about it, but the expectations are higher. The bar is higher. Yandy Diaz, Jimon Choi, not the thinnest of guys, not the most agile, although Jimon Choi in the 2020 postseason looked as agile as anybody. But you guys got to do that through the whole season. Harold Ramirez, is he going to be able to play the outfield? Again, not the thinnest guy, uh, but we'll see. I don't know. I, I have some worries about the defense. My biggest fear, however, is that last year's offense was a bit fluky. They were second in the major leagues in run scored, only behind the Houston Astros, and no complaints there. Look at that Astros lineup. It's very clear to see why uh, they led the league in runs. The Rays, however, you had a career year from a Mike Zanino. And instead of thinking like, okay, this is what Mike Zanino is, the expectation is that this is not what Mike Zanino is. He's probably closer to the Mike Zanino we saw in his first two seasons as the Rays catcher, which was still worse than what he was doing in Seattle. But what he did last year, he had never done before in his career. I don't think we can expect that out of him. And again, as like a catcher defense must have, that's that's my mentality, catcher, shortstop, center field. I don't care if you can hit a lick. All I'm saying is that that those numbers, that offensive production just might not be there this year for the Rays. And if that's not there, are they a 100-win team? Probably not, and that's okay. You don't have to be a 100-win team. That's probably a fluke within itself. But you look at what Toronto's done. They bring in Matt Chapman, who's not only a really good bat, but an incredible platinum glove-winning third baseman. You look at the New York Yankees, who I still think have a a roster that is talented enough to win a division. They bring in Isaiah Kiner-Falefa to play short. He's not the bat that Yankee fans were looking for, but the Yankees' biggest issue, in my opinion, last year, what sets the Rays apart from the Yankees, is defense. They bring in him, and if the Rays' offense doesn't put up league-leading numbers, you look at the runs they scored last year, on-base percentage didn't really match up with them being second. Home run totals didn't really match up with them being second. Batting average, some of the more, I think, traditional numbers that have a strong correlation with runs scored didn't. They made up those runs on, on uh, you know, using, you know, platoons, being very good with the situations and setting lineups. Kevin Cash is a master at that, I believe. Base running, take not stolen bases, but taking the extra base, going first to third, going first to home on balls in the gap, really solid base running. You know, I, I just, I'm not convinced that that offense is that good. That's not to take anything away from the accomplishment last year of winning 100 games and being second in the AL and run scored. That happened. They did that. They accomplished that. But that can't be your expectation for this team. Yes, you get Wander Franco, who, by the looks of it, is an MVP candidate. You know, he's got already .6 wins above replacement. He's hitting 381 with a 386 on base. He's got a 548 slugging. Jimon Choi has come out. He's off to a great start. He's got a, a, a 291 WRC plus hitting the cover off the ball. He's got a pair of bombs. Brandon Lau already with three home runs. Yes, the guys, like you said, the usual suspects, but one to nine, what if Taylor Walls just can't hit? What if Mike Zanino goes back to what we were used to Mike Zanino doing in a Rays uniform? Brett Phillips, I like the numbers he put up last year, and I love Brett Phillips just as much as anybody, 
But do you think he's going to hit 13 home runs again this year? I have my doubts. Uh, Manuel Margot has really never been a league average hitter. What can you expect out of him? Harold Ramirez, is he a Jose Martinez or a Hunter Renfro 2.0 or 3.0? There's these guys that are just brought in to be lefty mashers that just don't pan out that you can't play every day. Again, I like this team a lot. I think they're 90-plus wins, but the expectations are higher. They don't have to win 100 games, but the expectation is for them to win the division again and to finish in one of those top two spots where you don't have to play a three-game series to advance to the ALDS. The, the, the postseason's different now. You, you don't just have to get in. You don't just got to win the division. Now you got to finish in the top two to get that bye, a coveted bye. You don't want to play a three-game series. Anything can happen. You saw it in 2020. Some big teams get knocked out in the first round. You want to get that by. So, again, sounds like we're being negative, but uh, we, we're just explaining what our biggest fears are. Again, I still really like this Rays team. I still like their chances to win this division. They're 5-6. and six. There's been a lot of good stuff to see play out already. We talked about Shane McClanahan, Gmon Choi, Wander Franco. They're having great seasons so far. Will it continue? We get to see. That's the fun about baseball. We're going to, in about 20 minutes, we're going to watch them take the field and play in another chilly night in Chicago. Um, but I think there are some concerns about this team, and that's okay. And uh, every fan's got them, but we're just going to raise our voice about them here tonight on the podcast. Just again, we are 11 games into the season. <laughs> so there's, it's less than 10% of the season. There's still so much more uh, to play out and see. So, Plenty that this team can do to to live up to expectations or exceed it. And just excited to see the season continue to unfold. That we will. So I, I think that's mostly going to wrap it up. I got on my, my high horse there a little bit and ranted a little bit. But it, that's the name of the game. That's the name of this podcast. So that's going to do it for this week's episode of Raise Your Voice. Big thanks to Jamal Wilberg for coming on. Jamal, thank you. Thanks, Brett. If you like what we do on the D-Rays Bay Podcast Network, give us five stars on your preferred podcast platform, whether it's Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the best way to spread what we do to more and more Rays fans. If you leave a question or a comment on your review, I'll try to read it out on a future episode. You can also drop any questions to the show on the podcast episode right up on DRaysBay.com or on Twitter, just tag either at RYV Podcast or my personal Twitter, at BG Rutherford 99. Once again, thank you guys for listening. I'll talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.